123 of the Sorry to Interrupt podcast, brought to you as always by SorrySports.com. I screwed up, and you're going to hear about it on the pod. So this is another Wednesday mix podcast. We jumped in and talked about the NLCS and the sweep with the Washington Nationals moving on to the World Series. After that, we talked Yankees and Astros and the ALCS. Following that, we went up and down college football. I'm kind of an expert after the last couple weeks. It's really not a big deal. Then we did NFL. We talked trade, went over the locals. Then we went up and down with the scores, went over our picks from last week, and then we made our picks for this week, including the very exciting Sperm Bank pick of the week. So enjoy the pod, guys. We'll be back next Monday, hopefully, as long as I don't screw anything up. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, on Instagram, sorry underscore sports. Check out the website, sorrysports.com, and shoot us an email if you have anything to say sorry sports at yahoo.com enjoy the pod Everybody, welcome back to Sorry to Interrupt. This is episode 122, and for yet another week, we're doing a crossover pod. Uh, no Monday rundown this week. Uh, Tom, this, I think you have a reason why. Did you want to uh, you want to fill everybody in as to why there was no Monday rundown this week? Everybody makes mistakes. Um, I forgot the interface where we can do it from our house, um, and that's why. And I'm sorry, everyone, that was waiting for that episode. It's my bad. Everybody makes mistakes. I'm a fucking piece of shit. I'm terrible. I'm going to give myself the treatment that I would give anybody else that makes this mistake. Like the secretary? Well, the secretary makes multiple mistakes and doesn't learn from his mistakes. This will never happen again for me. No, definitely not. Hey, listen, man. I mean, you called me. I was ready to do the pod because uh, we agreed we were going to do it remotely. And uh, you called up, and the first thing you said was, listen, man, I'm sorry. Like, uh, I don't have it. And, uh... It's hard to be mad at you when you when you get out in front of it on your own like that. So uh, it's all good. We'll just repeat what we did last week. So everybody, um, welcome that's, to that's, back to the pod. That's pretty much what I live by. Is I'm just going to apologize to the point where the person that's mad at me can't be mad at me. I know I'm wrong. Well, you you know what? That's quite the method that you got there. Well done. All right, everybody, welcome back to the pod. Um, as we, we did last week, we're going to start off with a couple of other things and then uh, delve into our regular NFL Wednesday. Before we go on, um, I just want to say this. I know LeBron had his comments on the whole China thing. We said our piece last week. I don't really want to talk about it. Um, I don't really know what else there is to say about it. Everybody knows that LeBron pretty much fucked up with what he said, and um, it didn't come off well. I don't really want to dive into it again. It was pretty heavy. We did about 15 minutes on it last week, man. And um, I kind of want to just talk sports today. I hope that's cool with you. I'm all for it. Um, although, keep in mind, LeBron's in a tough position. Everybody who's shitting on him, just keep in mind he's in a tough position. Um, not to be a defender or whatever, but I'm just saying. Um, let's move on to the NLCS. Uh, it was a quick one. The Cardinals Yeah, it really was, was man. Yeah, man. I mean, it was a clean sweep. Um, we didn't. Uh, we last talked, and we were actually on the air when the Dodgers were winning Game Five of the division series, three nothing. And I was. And the right. Nationals obviously came all the way back, found a way to win that game between uh, behind Howie Kendrick's heroics and Clayton Kershaw with probably his most epic of meltdowns. Uh, Dave Roberts having no idea how to manage the series. 
We should do something individual to the Dodgers another time when it slows down a bit. But obviously, the Nationals did get to the NLCS. The Cardinals, you know, won that. They had a 13 nothing lead at the end of two <laughs> against the Braves in Game 5. So they met each other, and it opened in St. Louis, and Annabelle Sanchez turned back the clock. He had a no-hitter through seven and a third. And the starting pitching... Uh, in this series really set the tone, man. Do you know that the St. Louis Cardinals never had a lead in this series? Annabelle Sanchez, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, utterly unhittable, excuse me, for the Washington Nationals, and uh, in just the most clean of sweeps, just dispatched the Cardinals as if they weren't even there. You know, when you win a World Series, they always there's always those one or two guys that you don't really expect to come up in big situations, and Annabelle Sanchez is definitely a playoff hero for them. Every single year it happens like clockwork. Looking back on pretty much every World Series, and this year it's Annabelle Sanchez. He was dominant in this team. They just look like the team of destiny right now. I know that's not you know really an analytical thing, but they look like they're going to win it all at this point. You know, they have the recipe for it, and... We talked about this a lot with Phillips and amongst each other, you know, with the Mets. You know, when you get into a short series and you have that kind of elite starting pitching, when we get to the LC- ALCS, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. When you have that kind of elite starting pitching, really, you have the leg up. And that doesn't always manifest in the regular season because, you know, when you're playing a stretch of 15, 18, 20 games in a row, you know, your starting pitchers are going to have stretches where they don't pitch great and you're going to have to use your bullpen or you might have games where you need to outslug other teams. In the playoffs, that's not really the case. Generally, the, when you have an elite starting pitcher, you can pretty much bank on the fact that you have a, a legitimate advantage in that game. And I know Jack Flaherty had a really good year for the Cardinals. You have Wayne Wright. There's nobody that's even close to matching Strasburg, Corbin, and Scherzer when they're on their A game. But Annabelle Sanchez setting the tone in game one because the Nats had to burn out their rotation coming out of the pen in that game five. Um, I don't know how you felt, man, but I didn't see that coming. And once they won that game in that kind of fashion, I thought the Cardinals were kind of dead for right. Yeah, it just had that. I mean, like you said, they never led in the series. It kind of just had that feeling from first pitch on. It did, and, you know, give credit to the Nationals lineup, too. I mean, you talked about unsung heroes. You don't see Annabelle Sanchez, you know, doing that kind of thing that he did. Dude, how about Howie Kendrick? He kind of filled the role of the Steve Pierce last year for the Red Sox. Remember how hot he was throughout the postseason? I mean, you just see those kind of guys. Zimmerman with some huge hits. Obviously, Rendon and Soto were superstars, but... I don't know. They got contributions all up and down the lineup. The pitching was super strong. They never had to, you know, go into the underbelly of their team, which is that bullpen. And um, I thought the Cardinals were going to give them a fight. It was anything but. Nope, they just laid down. So the question I have for you before we wrap this one up, because there's really not much to say about it. They just got absolutely dominated. Is Juan Soto better than Bryce Harper? It's a really good question. I don't think it's a fair one, though. Um, Bryce Harper, you, you mentioned, you know, before we talked about this series, you, you mentioned about, you know, how analytics can't do certain things, show certain things when you alluded to the Nats being a team of destiny, right? Um, 
Bryce Harper is a phenomenal baseball player. I, I don't think that you can lose sight of how good he is. But I think his personality, his dominant personality, his especially last year where it was the impending question of what was going to happen when he was a free agent, what was going to happen after this year, I do think that drains on a team. And this team, I know they weren't the best regular season team, but they are playing so loose. And this is a team that had a lot of talent in years past, right, bro? That really blew it in big spots. And it wasn't always Harper's fault. Sometimes they didn't get the starting pitching. Sometimes their bullpen blew it. Sometimes the rest of the lineup didn't contribute. But I don't know. I just feel like I don't think Soto's better. I think Soto's a tremendous baseball player. I just think the atmosphere among that team, it's just so much more loose. What do you think? I think he's better, period. I think he. I think he's going to be statistically, when their careers are over, the better player. And I also think he's more of a clutch hitter right now. And again, we go back to the analytics. You can't measure that. But think of all the situations that Bryce Harper fell down in when it came to clutch situations, just striking out constantly. This guy's come up with clutch hits over and over again just in this postseason alone. And I would call their defense just about even. They both have cannons for arms and can cover some ground in right field. So if that's a moot point, give me Juan Soto over Bryce Harper. Let me ask you a question that might be a little bit more fair. Not are the not is one better than the other, but are the Nationals a better team without Bryce Harper? Absolutely. There's no microscope on them. Like you said, they can play free. They, they were a little under the radar. Everybody expected them to lose that that wild card game, let alone the Dodgers series, and then this series and then this series going up against it. So, obviously, um, we thought that the Cardinals were going to win this one. Clearly, we thought the Dodgers were going to win the last one, and we had the Braves winning. Or no, I'm sorry, the um, we had um, who did they beat in the wild card game? I'm sorry, I'm blank. Oh, the no Brewers. Rocky. The Brewers. They were down three nothing in that game. Remember, they scored their runs off Hader. Yeah, no, and they're playing free. Start so. over the big hit. And with Bryce Harper, it, it, there were the expectations were just absolutely sky high. And this again, this team wasn't expected to even make the postseason with that start that they had. So I just think the unfair magnifying glass on Bryce Harper because. He is a great player, but he's not Mike Trout, is not there, and they're just playing like like they have nothing to lose. Yeah, and again, I don't even think that answers my question. I agree with you. You know, you and I kind of echoed each other's sentiments there. I don't think that really answers the question. I don't think they're a better team without Harper. I, I think that we get we get misconstrued because a great the team player, has a certain... But here's why I think they're a better team. If you want to take money into account, they're not being tied down by that, what was it, $340 million contract, something like 330 that? 330 for 13 yeah. They're not tied down by that. And honestly, man, if you go back and look at it, can you? I could probably count on one hand the amount of clutch hits Bryce Harper's had in a career. And he's a great regular season player. He's got an MVP under his belt, but... Just through this postseason, it looks like this guy comes through when it really matters. Yeah, and obviously I think, you know, the one thing that you can look at, too, that I I, I don't think is necessarily fair is Soto's had one postseason this year. Remember, they didn't make it last year. No, and I Harper's agree with had you, but the thing is... had a much bigger sample size to where his stats will look much worse in comparison because he's been there so many times. But I can honestly run the tape back, and I could tell you there's probably been more clutch hits from Soto alone in this postseason than Bryce Harper has throughout his entire career. 
Yeah, and again, I, I think that we're in the we're in agreement. I'm just not ready to say that you're better without a great player. I think just the attitude is, you know, in basketball is probably the only sport where you can have guys that hate each other. I know we, I know Boston's situation this year didn't work out, but historically we've seen teams that don't have great chemistry or rapport play quite well together and win a lot of games, including championships. Baseball is this different kind of feel. Very seldom do you have like the 78 Yankees who just hated each other. They go on these magic runs and win. There's usually a, a really good continuity and team chemistry. Statistically, I'm not going to say they're better with Harper. Remember, their center fielder, Robles had a really good year, but he was hurt. Michael A. Taylor had some big hits. It seems just like it's a looser atmosphere, and that's what helped them win. I think Harper's absence from a personality standpoint is a plus. I'm not going to say I'm not going to say that his absence from a production standpoint is a plus. I think it was. It's just it's a different team. Rendon's kind of become the leader of that clubhouse, and his personality is more conducive to the rest of that team, kind of following the beat of his drum. So. Either way you look at it, the Washington Nationals are in the World Series. Bryce Harper and the Philadelphia Phillies, a division rival in which he went to because he thought it was a better situation to not even make the playoffs. And today is Bryce Harper's birthday. Can anybody feel worse on their birthday than Bryce? Wow, that's tough. Um, definitely not as he's home watching these Washington Nationals move on to the World Series. They've had a couple of good sports years recently. I mean, the Redskins and the Wizards suck, but the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, what, two years ago? So, Yeah, 2018. Washington's not looking too bad. If those other two teams can turn it around, we might have something like, uh, something like I hate to say it, New England. Down I'm not going to hold my breath. No, no, no. The, the two, wor- two of the worst owners in sports own those other teams. So, Yeah, I'm not going to hold my breath on those. All right, let's, we got to talk about it. We have to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. In my personal opinion, this series is over after they lost game two. I'm. I, you have to let me go through my process here. I say it's over. I did the same thing with the Indian series a few years ago. I said it was over, and it wasn't. This is just the way I am. But in my eyes, this series is over. Too much good starting pitching for the Yankees. And Adovino, is he, is he okay? Is Adovino okay? He's he's fine. He's just not locating his pitches, and he's he's not executing, and it's costing him a lot. All right, let's break down this series. So we will take a we'll take. Is a that all you game. got? I thought you were going to go into a deeper. I thought you were going to just go into a deeper like soliloquy there. No, 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 no. I, I want to get this over with and move on to NCAA football because I'm not happy right now. I've never heard you say that, and I want this recorded. Like, <laughs> I want just that little part oh, recorded. Oh, you want so it recorded. Well, thank God we're recording. I'm pumped up on NCAA football. I'm back in, baby. It feels like 2011 again. It, feel, it feels like even before that when I was watching the national championship game all in on Sam Bradford saying he was the next great Sam quarterback. Bradford. But let's let's talk about the Yankees here. So, first game, you hit up on Granky. You're feeling good with that game one win in Houston. Everything's going well. The bullpen does a good job continuing to shut it down. And then game two happens. I'm I'm fucking fired up because uh, Judge takes Verlander deep to fucking dead central. Stanton's out. But we're still it still looks like we're getting a win. The bullpen comes in, I'm like, this game's fucking over. Like the, the this is this is what we built this team around. And then 
before you know it, it's a tie ball game. We're going into the 11th, and of course, our boy for the entire year, you can't really fault him because it's the 11th inning, and he did a good job getting out of the uh, getting out of the 10th from what I remember. It was a long time ago, and I cried a little bit. Jay Happ gives up an absolute bomb to Carlos Correa to end the game. Yeah, so you hit on the main points, but I think there's a lot that we need to go over before that final home run happens. So, Game one, Tanaka goes six. And the first thing people are complaining about is the Yankees are building a lead uh, that is becoming insurmountable for Houston to, to come back from is, okay, why are they taking Tanaka out at 70 pitches? Well, you know why? Because this is a team with a rested bullpen, and the team is built on the bullpen, and you know you're going to need Tanaka at full strength for another game in this series. So why are you having him throw another unnecessary 10, 15, 20 pitches? Let's not forget in the regular season, we saw a lot of this this year between him and Hap, where they were staked to big leads and they were pitching very well for five or six innings. Then they hit 80 and pitches. That, and then that third time around, you know, they give up three or four runs, throw another 20 pitches, all of a sudden it's a game again, and you're wondering why, you know, they left him in the game. In the regular season, you have to do that sometimes. In the playoffs, you most certainly don't. They took him out, I thought, at the right time, and uh, and, and the Yankees coasted to a victory behind Glaber Torres' historic five RBIs. Uh, Urshela and Stanton both went deep. In game two, so Stanton starts off, you, you hear whispers already, like two, three hours before game time, he's not in the lineup, why isn't he in the lineup, quad injury. Just to give people a context for people that think Stanton's a pussy, he had a really bad knee injury, okay? The knee injury he had could have and should have probably been season-ending. He did the most he could to get back. And I know on this podcast I've been a Stanton apologizer, which really sounds stupid that I have to apologize for one of the best players in baseball, but... You know, we've had our talks about him. I don't have to go into that again. When you have a knee injury of the magnitude that he had, you're not activating any of the muscles around it because you're not pushing it. So your quad becomes very tight and very, very weak. So he hurt his quad running down the first baseline and strained it. It's a legitimate strain, according to Aaron Boone. And if he was on... Uh, if this was the regular season, he would have been placed on the injured the injured list. So this is not a pussy injury. This is not a guy who wants to be out. He just went deep. He's had a nice postseason acknowledging pitches and has been a very important cog in this lineup. Okay, so, we're, so we said that piece. Cameron Maven gets the starting left field. James Paxton doesn't have it, right? He just doesn't have it. And I know he only gave up one run, but that single that Bregman hit in the first inning, that should have been gone. That that was a foot from being a home run in that ridiculous short porch down the left field line in Houston. He got out of everything giving up only one run. He faced 14 batters and threw three first pitch strikes. That's not a recipe for success against a team like the Astros. If you're pitching from behind, you're probably not going to have a good night. Boone recognized that off the bat. He had an incredibly rested bullpen that he could deploy, and he went to it. It turned out to be the right move. Now, one move people are complaining about was the move from Green, who was throwing absolute gas, to Adovino. Well, analytics show that George Springer is one of the best home run hitters against dead fastballs in the league. What he doesn't do is hit the breaking ball all that well. What's Adovino's go-to pitch, bro? The slider. The sweeping Frisbee slider. He hangs it on the first pitch, and Springer hits it a mile. All right? So... It's a 2-2 game. You alluded to the judge home run. That gave us a 2-1 lead. Okay. At this point, it's still a tie game. 
it remains that way all the way through the 11th inning. When both teams had a few opportunities to win the game, and they not, they never pushed runs across. Everybody's talking, going to talk about how bad the Yankees have been in runners in scoring position. The Astros this, this series are actually being outscored 10-7. to 7. And they've had they've stranded a Basically lot more runners. Right, but the, the Astros have scored. Or the Astros have left just as many, if not more, men on base than the Yankees have. But you go to the eleventh inning. The reason that the Astros bullpen looked so good is because Verlander gave you six and two thirds, which he always does. And I thought the Yankees actually had a pretty good approach against him. There's a few guys in the lineup that are just not close: Gardner, Sanchez, and Carnacion. To name a few, um, you don't you score two runs in eleven innings. Your bullpen gave up two runs, counting the the walk off homer to Correa. They have two runs in nine and two thirds, bro. Like that's a really good. Perf- I mean, if you get a bullpen to give you that kind of performance, I don't know what more you could possibly ask for, right? Not at all. And I'm not angry, and I'm not blaming anyone, even Hap. For this situation, it it just doesn't take away from how crushing this loss was when you feel like you had it. No, I totally agree. Especially because if you can go up 2-0 against Houston on the road, I think, uh, I mean, seriously, you only got to win one game at the stadium and then you can go back. Well, I I think if you, oh, I totally get what you mean. I thought that, I thought the game too was very I just think it was a huge momentum swing in the favor of Houston who didn't think that they who honestly I felt like they didn't think they were going to win that game at all until Correa made that obviously huge play with the home run and then they come in and they face Garrett Cole and we all know how that goes for for this past year this uh that game too reminded me a lot of that game two in Cleveland in the division series to bring it back to how you started this segment where Remember, the Yankees, like, teed off on Kluber after being just dismantled in Cleveland, and they tee off on Kluber, and they're playing real well, and then the bullpen falters, the Indians come all the way back, there was that hit batter that wasn't a hit batter that Girardi never challenged, and the Indians ended up winning in 13. Well, it was exactly like that, and... In that series, that put the Yankees down 0-2 in a best of five, so it was even more dire. In this one, it just tied the series up. But you really got a sense that that was a swing game because the forecast was already showing that Wednesday was going to be a disaster. Obviously, ended up getting rained out. And you were going to be facing Garrett Cole on Tuesday. And Garrett Cole did what Garrett Cole does, which is shut the opposing team down. And we actually had some pretty decent bats against him, too, um, the Yankees forced him to work a little bit more. Uh, Aaron Hicks got the start in center. Gardner was pushed to left. The Stanton still wasn't able to play. And Severino, I thought, pitched pretty well. He gave up two solo home runs. Um, but the Yankees were in that game. Even in the first inning, they get two on with no outs. Uh, LeMahieu and Judge both singled. And then Gardner pops out. And Encarnacion pops out, and um, I believe it was Sanchez or uh, struck out, or Torres struck out. So that's a that's not going to get the job done, man. And we've had we had Cole on the ropes a couple innings there, and just weren't able, weren't able to push anything across. Um, we knew going into this series, right? We were going to have to beat a combination of Cole and Verlander at least twice. But so far, we're zero for two which, to your point, that Game 2 loss was incredibly crushing. Game 4 is a must-win. I know it's not technically a must-win, but it's a must-win, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. In my opinion, it is a must win. We could talk about technicalities all we want, but you got Tanaka going on the bump. He's facing Granky. This this is a mm-hmm. this has got to be a repeat of Game One, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. Because Game Five looks like it's going to be a rematch of Game Two, Verlander and Paxton. And I'm, I'm more confident in the Yankees, and I think everybody can agree with this against Verlander. I think Verlander can hang one or two, and right now Cole is just on another planet, and I don't think he's made a bad pitch, a single bad pu- fucking pitch this entire season, what it feels like. Yeah, it does feel that way, right? And when he does, you know, he's gotten away with them because, uh, you know, the batter was expecting something else or just didn't square up. So, either way, tomorrow night... Um, Rematch of game one, Yankees have to win. Because if you're going to get Verlander in game five and then Cole in game six, I mean, the likelihood of you getting past those two guys is almost none. So I think the Yankee season hinges on tomorrow night, and uh, we'll see what goes on from there. I don't have any more to say on the series, do you? No, not at all. Tomorrow's a must win. That's all. I liked, I'd like to see, and I'm feeling from the Yankees tomorrow, you brought a little more confidence to me. I'm feeling a 3-1 to one win tomorrow. Tanaka's got to do what he did in game one, which is keep the ball down, get a lot of quick outs, keep him guessing on off speed. That the guy's got to be a big game pitcher. I'm not worried about Tanaka at all. I hope I'm not kicking myself next Monday when, when we roll into the next pod and Tanaka gives up a five spot in the first inning. But I think we get another six inning outing from Tanaka, save a little bit of the pen. That would be ideal because don't forget, um, for those of you who, who don't know, because this game was rained out, there is no more travel day in yeah, between games five day, and six. So. That's great. So they will be playing, if it goes all seven, Thursday through Sunday, with no off day in between Yankee Stadium and Houston. So the Yankees will lose a little bit of an advantage because they're not going to be able to activate that bullpen to its fullest capacity, knowing there's an off day in between. So that's it for that. Tom, the floor is yours for college football, man. All right, man. So we're going to lead off with a little South Carolina. Will's South Carolina Gamecocks. Will never went there. I don't even know if he's ever been to South Carolina. Absolute fraud. But Is this like my Bama? Is this like my Bama fandom? Yeah, Sean. Have you been to Alabama yet? I have not. Mm, that's disgusting. You, you're an Alabama fan because a wide receiver that you had a hard-on for made a catch, right? It was one of the best catches in college football history, but yeah. Wow, that's awesome, dude. What's his name? Sure, sure does. Yeah, what's his name? What's the guy's name? Can't remember off the top of my head. It was like, like, two, it was like oh 2007, my God, dude. Dude, oh my god! I like the uniforms, and I didn't have a team before. What do you want me from me? This is Mike's, fucking sad, dude. Mike Sewell right. was not, Mike was not the best of coaches. Let's just jump back in. We'll talk about South Carolina upsetting Georgia. Fromm looked pretty bad, and that South Carolina defense looked pretty strong. Of course it did. Their defense usually is not their problem. They can't score. No, not at all. They usually have some quarterback issues. When they play SEC West teams, their defense looks a lot worse than it is. But unless you're playing Georgia on the side from this week, their defense is usually good enough to hang with some other teams in that conference. And in that division of that conference, I should say. Uh, Usually their their problem is scoring points. And um, their defense was able to make Georgia look pretty fucking bad. I'll tell you what, this opens up the door for uh, Florida in the SEC. But I mean, I know they lost a tough game to LSU, which I have a lot to say about because I actually watched that game. But this definitely opens up the door for Florida in that SEC East. 
It does. They'll play each other soon, uh, either in two or three weeks. So the winner of that game is going to be representing the SEC East in the uh, conference championship game. All right, so moving on to the next game because there's not really much to say about that. Congrats to Will on that win. Enjoy it. I just want to say this. From that was a very underwhelming performance. That and he was bad. He missed throws left and right. And I need to I see a lot more I, from him if he wants to be a top three round quarterback drafted. I'll tell you that. That's how I feel, man. I feel like people are going to look at that game, and and I know that quarterback shouldn't be judged off one bad game. And he's had it. He's built up enough equity, in my opinion, to justify still a high draft pick. And he's played very well in a lot of big games, but. I mean, to have a dud like that, and he was he was not only missing, dude, he looked like he didn't know where the ball was going on a couple of occasions. He was missing receivers by 5, 10 yards, and um, no synchrony with the, uh, with the wide receivers that are much more talented than a lot of the uh, South Carolina D-backs. Uh, just a bad performance out of Fromm, and, and you're looking for more than, than that from him. All right, let's move on to your next game. Your Alabama Crimson Tide beat up Texas A&M in Texas A&M, and it wasn't really a close game. I believe it was 47-24. to 24. Uh, 28. Yes. Yeah, 28. So this game wasn't really close, and this Alabama offense, we usually talk about their defense over since Saban's had his reign over there. Their offense looks really good, like elite. Their quartet of wide receivers is the best in the country, and they have two guys that are going to be drafted in the top ten between Judy and Ruggs. So you try hanging with that for four quarters as a defense. It's not fair. With Tua throwing the ball. No, it's definitely not fair. Tua's looking like the number one overall pick, and it's not even close. All right, so we don't really have much to say about that. Moving on to the next game. In the Red River rivalry, Oklahoma number five beats up on Texas. Not really beats up. 34-27. to 27. How do you feel about this game? I, I, I Jalen Hurts is making that Heisman push. He is. Uh, he left some plays on the field, but he still looked good. Um, I don't know. It, this game felt like more of a blowout than it ended up being. I know Texas scored late when it was a 14-point game with not a lot of time left, which created the 7-point game, but Oklahoma's a better team. Ellinger looked okay, not great. Hurts looked pretty good, but not great. Uh, it was much more low scoring than, than any of the games last year between these two teams. Um, but Oklahoma, again, they, they show why they're the class of the uh, the Big 12. Absolutely. My pokes were on a bye week this week, so we don't really have to talk about them. Moving on to the next game. Watched a little bit of this game, but there was too much punting for me to get interested in this unless I'm watching an NFL game. Penn State beats Iowa 17-12. to Defensive battle. Yeah, so this was going Sloppy on during... Two. Yeah, this was going on during, during game one of the uh, Yankees-Astro series, so I was bouncing between this, the Florida-LSU game, and uh, the Yanks game. So there was a lot going on. I didn't get to see a lot of the plays. But watching the highlights the next morning, I'll tell you this, man. It was a sloppy game. It wasn't super well played. This was a Big Ten football game. It's a defensive smash mouth, get after it kind of game. And I give Penn State a lot of credit because Iowa, Iowa doesn't always have the offense 
but they always have the defense. And sometimes you have to win ugly if you're going to be a top 10 team in the in the uh, country. And Penn State did that, winning 17-12, so I give them credit. All right, so let's move on to the game that everybody actually cared about. Number two, LSU beats number nine, Florida, 42-28. to Through the first quarter, this game was a lot closer. I believe it was actually tied after the first half. Yeah, yeah, it was. And then Florida's head coach, I don't know if he went into a coma, if he had a brain aneurysm or anything like that, but he went completely away from everything that was working against that LSU defense, and then they showed up, they locked up the running game, and he decided to keep handing it off and getting either negative gains or one-yard runs. Meanwhile, first quarter, he's switching out the quarterbacks, he's throwing the ball around the field, exposing some of the holes on LSU's defense, moving the ball up and down, and then you turn around and you just run the ball up the gut every single time in the second half. And you heard the announcers, and they're like, well, he says he's not going to go away from the running game because they broke off an 88-yard touchdown the week before against Auburn. And it's like, well, that's not going to happen every single week, and this LSU defense is better than Auburn's defense. Uh, I, I can't argue with anything that you said, man. I mean, I, it seemed to me like Mullen played the game not to lose. Well, that's why the score was 42 LSU, 28 Florida. If you're going to play the game not to lose in the second half, you play the game not to lose when you have when you have the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl up 24 to seven against the Patriots. Not when you're tied at 28-28 against a team that's pretty good offensively, especially with Joe Burrow running it down there. Swaggy, what did I call him? Swaggy J. That might have been the Swaggy J. Swaggy B. Whatever you want to call him, and that and that offense looks like it's pretty pretty good, and that defense is just dominant. You're not playing not to lose, especially in a game that you're not favored by, and you got to do something that's working. They were switching in and out the two quarterbacks. They were slinging the ball around the yard, and it was working. And that leads me into my next point, which is, I mean, I'll be giving you guys a prospect every single week. I want to talk about the tight end pits. They just went completely away from him, and there was not a single guy on that LSU defense that could cover him. Every single time, he was wide open by about five yards. And I think he had like 60 to 70 yards in the, in the first half, and then you didn't see him in the second half. Why did they stop going to him is my question as well. I have no idea. Again, it feels like they like Mullen coached this game not to lose. And all I can say is, man... Actually, two things. One, I don't know what happened to you, whether Frenchie got you or you're, you're, you went back down the degenerate rabbit hole of gambling, but your acumen has, all you had to do was say, you know what, I'm going to watch because it is great football, it is important to follow it, it is a lot of fun, and you're doing that, and nobody doubts that you can break down football. But the fact that you're engaged in this, the fact that you're into these top 10 matchups and throughout the season, it's just fucking awesome. I love it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So first, The other thing I'll say is I'll see you uh, three weeks from Saturday. Alabama, LSU, they're on a crash course. That's that's an annual game every year. That's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Where's it being played this year? This year, it, I believe, is in Tuscaloosa. I've got to do a double check there. I think it's in Tuscaloosa this year. Um, but either way, I'll tell you this, man. The last couple matchups between these teams haven't been close because LSU has always been able to run the ball. And what does Saban do? The same thing that Belichick does: take away your strength. And whether just at the JV level, because remember, Saban couldn't do it in in um, in the NFL. 
Okay, that's one of the dumbest uh, things I've ever heard. I take back every good thing I heard from you. Oh, stop it. He fucking sucked in the NFL, and then he went crying back to college football. You had the Miami Dolphins that went 1-15 the next year. If you first you don't succeed, try, try again. He told the entire Dolphins brass that he wanted Drew Brees. They wanted Dante Culpepper. Hell of a quarterback. Hell of a quarterback. You know who he lost his job to? Cleo Lemon. That's a throwback name for you. You know what Drew Brees did? Always set the record for passing yards. Sam, come back to the NFL. Stop being a pussy. It has nothing to do with being a pussy, man. It's know what you do. Saban, or Saban doesn't want him to deal with other people making his roster decisions and having a salary cap. Spoken Belichick like a true COO, not a leader. Just not a leader. Belichick, Belichick doesn't want to deal with recruiting. Belichick doesn't want to recruit. He wants to make trades, constantly turn over his roster, and that's what gets him hard. Saban wants complete autonomy of his of his uh, coaching staff and his t- and his program, and he gets that in college. It's not one or the other. Like that's it's like saying that um, it's like saying Gino Rem is a, a bad coach because he only wins in women's basketball. I don't need to see what he does in men's basketball. Who fucking cares? He owns women's college basketball because he can use his coaching style to dominate that sport. That's fine with me. All right, let me get back to my prospects because we're just never going to get on the same page with this argument. No, because you're wrong. <laughs> okay, all right, COO, keep it up. Keep it up, you I'll have fucking Will host in this pod in a heartbeat. No, um, you most certainly won't. So first week I gave you Scuba. That was a third and a fourth round pick. This guy Pitts, I'm going to go second round with him. I okay. really like him. I think, listen, right. there's no linebackers that can keep up with him. There's no safeties that can out-jump him. He looks like a center, a power forward out there. This guy can run like a deer. He's amazing, and I think that he's going to be in the top two rounds. There's a chance. I mean, the best thing is, is come April, we're going to get Frenchie on, and he's going to give us an entire rundown. And, you know, there were times last year when Jack I Polite looked like a first-rounder. So, we're going to find out. Listen, bro, we don't need French anymore. I'm the college football guy now. But let's move on to some NFL. Uh, we're finally ready for this? Absolutely. So obviously, you know what we need to do, bro? We have, before we go into the locals, there was a trade yesterday. Yes, yes. This, um, this obviously breaking news a day later is brought to you by SorrySports.com. And the NFL Weekly Wednesday is brought to you by SorrySports.com this week. So, there was nice. actually two trades, my friend, that happened this week. A bigger one and then a not-so-big one. So, we'll go over the not-so-big one first. They were intertwined, leads. though. I'm sorry, what would you say? They were intertwined. Of course, and the, the not-so-big one kind of leads into the bigger one. When I first saw this one, so the Rams traded Marcus Peters to the Baltimore Ravens for Kenny Young and a 2025th round pick. Now, I know Marcus Peters has not been the best cornerback of this year, and last year he was hurt. But when I saw this from the Rams, because when healthy, Marcus Peters is probably a top 10 corner in the league, I was like, oh, shit, are they done for the year? Clearly not after the trade we're going to talk about following this one. But how does this – obviously, we don't really care what it does for the Rams because of the upgrade, the massive upgrade that they made at the cornerback position. What does this do for the Baltimore Ravens? Because I think it helps them out a lot. They've really been struggling to cover in the secondary. Yeah, I think it helps him a lot. And to everything you said, he has not had a great year. He has been exposed. He hasn't been playing great. 
But that Ram defensive secondary is really not good overall. The Ravens secondary actually is. And if you have Earl Thomas as a cover-up for him, I think that's going to make him look a lot better, don't you? Absolutely, because Peters has never been the best cover corner in the league. He's always been up there in interceptions. He's a guy that likes to take chances. When he was on the Chiefs, he took chances, and the uh, the safety Eric Berry was the one who always made up for that. And now he's got Earl Thomas making up for that when he takes chances as well. He's gonna. I, I'm telling you, I think for the rest of the season, now that he's got an Earl Thomas behind him, I think he's probably gonna have seven or eight picks. I think he's going to have a really nice year, and I think he's a really nice addition to that Raven team because, let's be honest, man, the Baltimore Ravens are, they have the, in my opinion, the AFC North on lockdown. I'd be shocked if they relinquish this division, and now what it is is it's making a move to separate yourselves from the rest of the average to slightly above average teams. You want to be a difference maker in the playoffs, you want to go deep. You're going to have to play against Mahomes. You're going to have to play against Brady. And in order to do that, you've got to have guys that can cover and guys that can be ball hawks. And Paul Thomas is doing his job in his first year in Baltimore. Marcus Peters has been there. He was on the Super Bowl team last year for the Rams. Like you said, he's lost a little bit of a step. He doesn't seem to be playing his best football this year. But he's still a pro. I like him, and I think he's going to serve that Raven team quite well. As long as he doesn't throw, get thrown out like he did in the Jets game, I think he'll be good to go. I agree. All right, so let's move on to the bigger trade. Your favorite player in the NFL, Jalen Ramsey, who's probably a top two cornerback in the NFL. I put him right up there with Gilmore. Gets traded for two first-rounders, a 2020 and a 2021, and a 2021 fourth-round pick to the Los Angeles Rams. I think this is a huge impact on their defense. Well, the Rams just gave up their house. So I think they, better, obviously they, they think it's going to be a huge impact too, but I truly do because I think this gives Aaron Donald in that, in that front seven and the ability to get to quarterbacks a little bit more because they're not going to be able to get the ball out as quick to their best wide receiver because he's going to be locking them up. Yeah, all I can say is we know what Jalen Ramsey is as a player, right? When he's when he's driven and he's motivated and he's healthy, he is right there uh, with Gilmore as the best corner in the NFL. Um, really, my biggest question is: Is he going to make that much of an impact for a Rams team that seems to be struggling offensively a little bit more? That's exactly what I was going to say. That's a good point. I, I Just because they kind of cleaned up their defense a little bit, unless he can play wide receiver, quarterback, running back as well, he's not really going to clean up the holes on their offense, and there seems to be a hell of a lot of them. The only plus player I see on their offense right now is Cooper Cup. Well, Cooper Cup is a fucking stud, and on his new ACL, he looks even better than he did before that, which is scary. Um, obviously, when we talk about their game against the 49ers from this Sunday. We'll delve a little bit more deep into them, but just looking at this trade in the vacuum, there were a lot of teams that really wanted Jalen Ramsey, and it seemed like the Jaguars were doing everything they could to keep him, but Ramsey was without officially holding out, holding out, saying he had a back injury, saying he had this, that, and the third. Not to mention he he not quite the hole for him. And see, that's my that's my piece, is I look at this and say, okay, you got a great corner. you got a guy that should be an impact player on defense, and 
make you guys, you know, the NFC favorite again after a couple of bad weeks. But you also just mortgage your future. And after giving long-term deals to Gurley, whose knee is going to cause a lot of problems for him, obviously already has, and Goff, who seems like he's played nothing but bad since you gave him his extension, well, now you've got a lot of money tied up in two guys. And now you're not going to have some first-round picks for the next two years. Not the to other mention Jalen Ramsey's due for an extension as well. Uh, the very, uh, you beat me to the punch, man. Uh, I was just going to say that he's not. this deal was completed without the promise of an extension. So you better, you better do, you know, at least the Steelers got Minka Fitzpatrick, who was in the second year of his rookie deal. So, you know, they gave up the first rounder. It was, okay, we're going to have this guy for at least another two years. The, the Rams don't have that, you know, security blanket here with Ramsey. So they better make sure that they lock him up and he's the impact player that they need. Because if he doesn't make them better or if they, win, if they don't win with him, and I understand the two are not mutually exclusive, this is, this is a trade that could cost them a mini dynasty that we thought was inevitable 15 months ago. Not to mention, I'm not saying that Sean McVay isn't a great coach, but his offenses look poo-poo lately. Yeah, and again, is that golf? Is that the fact you have a number one running back who you have to run because technically he's healthy, but clearly he's diminished and he's not where he was? Is it because they're not on the same page? Like, I don't know what it is. It, to me, it doesn't seem like they're completely inadequate, but it seems like obviously they're not, you know, they're not as... They're not, not as, as well synced up as they were before. Exactly. So I, I have a lot of questions about this team. Jalen Ramsey's going to do his thing. He's going to play a really great cornerback. He's going to be rejuvenated out there. It's where he's going to want to be. I just have questions as to whether that's going to make the kind of impact that now all of a sudden we're looking at the Rams as the number one team in the uh, NFC again. I, I just don't know. Yeah, man, we're, we're going to have to see on that one. They have a lot more issues than corner, though, that's for sure. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe they can get a little more pass rush. And I'm thinking McVay figures out this offense at least better than it was, that, better than it's been the last few weeks. All right, let's move on to the locals. Can we talk about your New York Jets? My fucking Jets. I, yeah, listen, baby. Listen, let me, give, let me give Will Smith, a friend of the pod, our first guest on the pod, a little bit of credit here. Now, in the past, I've called him out on the pod and outside of the pod for he talks all this shit, and then when the Cowboys lose, whether it be in the playoffs or to the 0-4 Jets in the regular season, he never picks up the phone after talking shit way before the game and the season is over. He picked up the phone. He made me acknowledge that he picked up the phone, but he picked up the FaceTime when he called when I called him. There was no crying, and he just kept screaming at me that his team's still in first place and to enjoy my early round early first round draft pick and his team's still in first place and blah blah fucking blah. And I asked him who he's beat this year, because it wasn't the fucking Jets, and he's beat a bunch of trash and the Cowboys look like garbage and Garrett's on the hot seat again and they, he like he can't even get a high five from any of his own fucking players. Awesome. 
All right, you got I, nothing to say there? Let's jump into the breakdown I, of the game. I was just going to say, what, what do you want me to say about that? You gave your piece. You're the Jet fan on the pod. I thought I was just going to wait to talk about the game. You were you were talking about the, all the other stuff. I wasn't I'm, talking well. I'm I was going to let you go there. Aside from my Yanks, I'm on, on, on from our Yanks, I'm on somewhat of a high from the Jets win this week because Sam Donald, obviously Luke Falks, he got cut by the Jets. I don't know where he's going to play. But Sam Donald, I don't even think the XFL wants him. No, not at all. No offense to him. Good luck with your with your middle management business career, Luke Falk. I wish you all the best. I, you know, what? Yeah. He, he's got a job here. I'll, I'll give him a test run. Maybe he can be sports. the new sec- Maybe he can be the new secretary. Oh, we need it. I have posted the secretary job on Indeed and LinkedIn. I so. saw it. Yeah. I saw it. <laughs> all right. So, Jets. Listen, Sam Donald. That guy can do no wrong for me. His spleen looked absolutely perfect out there. His he was making... spleen looked perfect. It's an internal organ. He did his, for my eyes, for my <laughs> eyes to God, his spleen looked perfect out there. And so did the balls You don't even know where the spleen is. It looked good to me. That's all I'm saying. He looked great uh, out there. He was moving within the pocket, making pinpoint throws great throw on the deep ball the longest touchdown of the year 92 yards to Robbie Anderson finally he's awakened Robbie Anderson which I've been saying is going to happen since he was out that Robbie's going to be back he was making all the throws in the world the defense looked buttoned up even without CJ uh, without CJ Mosley out there the only thing I will complain about is the penalties we talked about it on the phone on Monday when I forgot the stupid fucking interface, and I I already I already blew the whistle on myself. I'm an idiot, but they were playing hot potato with that game at the end, the Cowboys and the Jets, giving each other penalties and whatnot. But listen, a win is a win. Great pressure and great call by Greg the Bounty Hunter Williams on the last play of the game, having Jamal Adams run through the middle. Good good bat down by Marcus May, another great safety that the Jets had. I'm ecstatic. Man, how could you not be ecstatic? I mean, listen, everybody listens that knows me. I, I say I'm a, I, I say I'm a Darnold guy. My, my only issue with him is he, he's got to play. I mean, you missed four games last year. You missed four this year. Your team needs you. I got to see what you got. And for one week, because I'm, I'm going to say he wasn't 100% in that week one game against Buffalo. He comes back and plays a Cowboy team. That, say what you want about him, and, and I will certainly say my piece when we're done talking about your Jets. They're a team that's going to be in the thick of it for a playoff spot. We know that. This is a Jet team that was reeling. And just a quick sidebar, really fucking bad job by the CBS crew showing all these awful Jet stats. The Jets and Cowboys had the 425 game on CBS. So it was the national game. So a lot of people were seeing the Jets for the first time since that um, Monday night game against Cleveland where they lost Semyon and, and Falk had to come in. They were showing these stats of how immediate, of how just completely inept the Jets are. The Jets are not that bad. They were playing with Luke Falk, who will not even get a job on another team's practice squad. So, like, bad job out of them. I thought they were a lot of cheap shots. Bad job, but what did the Jets do? We zipped them up. Exactly. I mean, they go down the field in the first half, man. I mean, they're, they're putting points up at will against a Dallas defense that's pretty fucking good. And, you know, you talked about that 92-yard throw from Darnold to Anderson. Darnold can make these plays, man. He had, And you want to talk about synergy between two guys. Him and Jameson Crowder are just on the same page. They are, they are just two peas in a pod, man. I mean, they know exactly what they're going to do on each play. Anderson's the deep threat. 
And listen, this season is lost from a playoff standpoint. We know that. But if Darnold can put together a nice string of games like this, even if they don't resort in wins, you're just going to be ecstatic because this is what you want to see. This is what we've been dying to see. And his injuries have, you know, hurt us from seeing this. He played like this in December last year. In his final four games, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. We know he has this talent, at least I believe he does. Okay, he's going to have to do a couple of turnovers. The rest of this team is not all that great. And especially when you put a, an offensive line around him that can't protect him, he's going to be running for his life a lot. But Lev Bell looked rejuvenated because he knew he wasn't going to be running into a brick wall or getting obvious plays. Gase looked like he was finally ecstatic to open up the playbook a little bit. There were a lot of nice little plays that were designed in the first half of that game. I thought they played more not to lose the game in the second half, which allowed Dallas to come back. But like you said, they have playmakers on defense, and Jamal Adams is a fucking dog. He's so fucking good. I love watching him play. He's a throwback player. And how could you not be ecstatic about what you saw from your Jets? They beat a team that's going to be in the playoffs in the other conference. They got their first win of the year. Your quarterback looked really good. The, the team looked rejuvenated. All, all things coming up daisies for the New York Jets. Absolutely. And I read a few pieces this week basically saying that the Jets are going to be pretty active on the offense, on um, on trading a few players. I'm, I'm completely okay with that. We're not making the playoffs this season, and it's all good. As long as you keep your core together, obviously you're not trading a Jamal, Jamal Adams or a Darnold or a Robbie Anderson or even a, um, obviously, Quentin Williams. I mean, Leonard Williams, again, the Jets are great at drafting defensive linemen, but I don't want to end up with another Mo Wilkerson situation. If you see that guy's unhappy, send him packing for a second or possibly a second and a third round pick. And Tremaine Johnson sucks anyway, so if the Eagles want to give something up for him, you know what? I'll drive him to the fucking airport myself. There you go. I think either a fifth rounder is fine for him. I mean, the Giants got a fourth for Eli Apple last year, so I got to believe that you could get something for Tremaine Johnson. Um, the other thing, too, is I, I'm totally in agreement with you about trading assets. Just don't trade too much because if you take too much, especially on the offensive side of the ball away from Darnold, you're going to automatically be back in that same spot that you had with Sanchez where how is it fair to evaluate a guy when he has no talent? And we're going to talk about the no, Giants. I'm talking too. more about trading defensive players. Uh, trading defense, yeah. So Leonard, Williams. Is Leonard Williams is not too happy and Tremaine Johnson. Okay. Listen, I'm not. You know what? He's not even worth. He's not even worth a flight. If he's going to Philly, I'll buy him an Amtrak ticket. All right, that's fair. I mean, that's a short trip, and I'm sure the Philly fans will love uh, will love him because we know how how uh, sweet they are. Um, great win for your Jets. I'm excited to see what they do going forward with Darnold. You just gotta hope Darnold stays in there. He can't suffer another injury this year. The only uh, complaint I, I got is let's just stay healthy, baby boy. That's, yeah, that's all it is. Fucking um, great. Uh, I want to talk about the officiating, but not now. We'll talk about it after the, we go over the Monday night game, which was a complete and utter disaster. All right, the New York Giants, they played Thursday night last week, which seems like an eternity ago, against the New England Patriots, and this was a backdoor cover on the end of the New England Patriots. This was a close game the entire way, and then the Patriots ended up getting a t- winning by 21, covering that spread. Um, I'm going to say this, man. I don't really know how to look at this game. The Giants played without Saquon Barkley, Wayne Gallman, Evan Ingram, and Sterling Shepard. 
Golden Tate came back. This was his second game back, and he caught a touchdown pass. I, I mean, you've got Slayton. You've got, you know, you didn't even have Latimer. I don't know who some of the guys were that were playing on offense for the Giants. Um, in my opinion, Jones looked fine. He made a couple bad throws. That third interception was really bad, especially because they were driving, and he just inexplicably, he didn't see the coverage. He, he didn't see the safety. Yeah, he didn't see the safety coming over. He thought he had one-on-one with the corner, and the safety came out of nowhere on him and, and picked the ball off. But I think to me, again, like when I look at Darnold, sometimes he tries to make something out of nothing. That's kind of how I look there with Jones. He tried to make something out of nothing. When sometimes you've got to just be a little bit, you know, more cautious. But he made some real plays in this game. I mean, that touchdown pass through Tate was perfect. He made a couple of other nice throws that were dropped, as has been, you know, consistent amongst whoever plays quarterback for the New York Giants. Um, but I thought he played fine. It was a rookie game against the best secondary in the NFL, the best overall defense in the NFL. I thought he acquitted himself well. He got up off the mat after taking some big hits. He didn't look overmatched. He made a couple of mistakes. I am still very encouraged about him. Um, in my opinion, it was really, what more do you want him to do? Um, the defense is what I'm going to take away from this game. I don't know how much of this game you watched. The Giant defense was really, really good. And they gave Brady just an impossible time. So for the first two and a half quarters, the Patriots offense looked utterly lost. They returned a blocked uh, punt for a touchdown and then uh, punched in a quick touchdown after an interception at like the 15 for the Giants. So in the first, after that, they didn't do anything on offense. They were getting a lot of pressure. Uh, Marcus Golden was playing out of his mind. Ogletree with a sack. Uh, O'Shea Zimenez was in every play. Dexter Lawrence was just stuffing everything at the line of scrimmage. This was this was a game where I looked at the defense. Janoris Jenkins had two picks. I looked at it and said, all right, all right. Now, this is a statue quarterback, and the Giants defense usually plays well against those kind of guys. They're going to play Kyler this week, so we're going to see how, how they do there. But after just playing, you know, they made James Winston look like an all-pro. Kirk Cousins had to get right last week, and he put up his best the get, best game of his career, basically, against the Giants. You're going up against Tom Brady and Foxborough in a short week. They played incredibly well. I know they gave up those points, but they were on the field a lot when the game was close. That was a really good defensive showing. I think that was the most encouraging thing you could take out of this game if you're a Giant fan. Yeah, and I think Daniel Jones held his own. I mean, he made a couple of rookie plays out there, but you got to be happy with, with the game that he put together, especially going up to Foxborough. So, listen, and before we move on to the out-of-market games, one more thing I will say. If I'm a Cowboys fan right now, I'm smashing the panic button. Yeah, I mean, they're playing the Eagles this week. So one of those teams is going to go to 3-4. and four. Yeah, they're basically playing for the lead in the division, and Amari Cooper's dinged up. We don't know if he's going to play. they got some offensive linemen that are a little dinged up as well. So we're going to have to see what what kind of lineup they're running out there as well. Yeah, and the next four games for the Giants are they're home against Arizona, at Detroit, home against the Cowboys, and at the Jets. I say at the Jets, you know, it's a it's still a met life. Uh, they're just the road team. But those are four games where you, you could say, 
shit, we can go three and one here. Classic you know, Giants we, fan talking himself into the playoffs. I love it. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I definitely don't think we're a playoff team. I'm saying that if you're the Giants, the way you're looking at this, because you talked about the Cowboys smashing the panic button, I, I'm agreeing with you. Them or the Eagles are going to fall to three and four. And if the Giants beat the uh, beat the Cardinals, they too are going to be three and four. So they'll still stay one game off the pace, which is amazing because this team has looked about as bad as you can in certain stretches of this season. Um, so just you know, if you're the organization, you're you're telling yourself that shit, man. Washington's two and four. They're one game out. We don't believe that they. We believe that them and the Giants really have no shot. It's a two-team race, but. That's what you're thinking of if you're the New York Giants. You're saying we're one game out, one team is going to lose in a head-to-head. We have our next four games. Three of those are games that we should win. Washington's we, only if, got one win, my friend. Washington has one win. That's right. That's right. They're one and five. I thought they they did play well enough to win one game. They just didn't because they're the Redskins. Um, all right, let's move out of uh, let's move out of our area and on down the line. Let's start with the Vikings and the Eagles. We usually do the Thursday night game. What's that? Your Minnesota Vikings, my friend. Uh, they are not my Minnesota Vikings. I'm done with them. I told you that. Listen, the Eagles secondary is more than Swiss cheese right now. It's just a big, gaping black hole. And Kirk Cousins, he's had two of the best games of his career in the past two weeks. He looked great. He was throwing dimes all over the field. Obviously got his two big wide receivers involved. Not big in stature, but big in how they play, and Stefan Diggs, who had a monster game. I think he had two touchdowns, well over 100 yards, and then Thielen had a touchdown as well. We even had a Kyle Rudolph sighting in this offense between the two running backs as well. They were clicking on all cylinders, and listen, Wentz sometimes, I love him. He's my fantasy quarterback this year, not that anybody cares, but for about a quarter every single game, he just looks like he forgot how to play football, and then he wakes up, and you're like, oh, it's Carson Wentz again. Yeah, he's, I still thought he played pretty well in this game, but the defense was just so anemic that he never really stood a chance. Um, I agree with you, though. He does have those short moments where it's like, oh, Jesus, like, what are you doing? Like, you're so much better. But you alluded before to some of the, some of the uh, injuries that the Eagles are faced with in their skill positions. Um, the Vikings just played great, and I know I joke about them, you know, being my team, and, and I, I fall for them, and I, I have, and I will stand by never picking them again, or uh, picking a game they're involved in again, but they are capable of this. I mean, they have the, they have the offensive firepower when Cousins plays well to, to put up incredible games, and their defense is no joke. Sometimes they just don't have it. They don't put it all together between offense and defense. But when they do, they can put up games like this. All right. So moving on. Can you finally? Can you finally admit that Deshaun Watson is a top three tier quarterback? Oh, the way he's playing this year, absolutely. How could you not? I think honestly, after you last know, week, I did that preseason, right? Like I didn't know he was going to have these games. Yeah, I know that, but I mean, I knew that because I watch football. Um, so, so now I know I realize McCaffrey did play this week in the earlier game, but I just think quarterbacks always win out when it comes to MVPs. Yeah, they generally do. I mean, they're the most important position, and when they put up huge numbers, they're going to pop out more than others. But, dude, I picked Watson as an MVP Offensive Player of the Year candidate last year. I, I saw what he did to the Crimson Tide in Clemson. I've seen what he can do. I was a big proponent of him. 
coming out of college. I thought everybody that passed on him was wrong, especially the Bears taking Trubisky at him, for God's sakes. But my question has always been, and I feel like you make me do this every week, can he play consistently and can he stay upright? And I know it's not his fault, but if he's throwing picks, I mean, there was a game not long ago where they put up 10 points. So... I am absolutely willing to put him in Tier 3. And when we do our quarterback rankings next year, there's going to be a lot of names that I looked at going into this year that aren't going to make it. Watson, if he finishes this year and plays like he just did, and he gets protection and gets to do what he just did against a really bad defensive team, the sky's the limit for him. I love watching him play. How could you not love watching him play? He's incredible. Absolutely. So... Listen, they looked great. They ran the ball well. They threw the ball great. Their defense looked pretty good as well. Now, Mahomes isn't 100%, though. No, exactly. And I was going to say, let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. This team without Mahomes being 100% looks like a totally different team. Well, yeah, because they require a lot of magic to happen. They require a lot of great plays from a you know, top-of-the-line, great best, play, best quarterback in the world talent and when they don't get that they're not quite the same and Even when he's at 80 percent they get Tyree kill back and he makes a couple of incredible throws to him but he's not a hundred percent his 80 percent is better than you know 25 quarterbacks but this 100%. team needs him to be at a hundred percent to win exactly and their defense stinks their defense is not good talk We've about a team that, that should have gone out and got a Jalen Ramsey or even a Marcus Peters back yeah, I mean, there's still two more weeks till the trading deadline, so so they might be able to make a move, but Clark is no good uh, on his own. He's a great player, but they need a lot of other support for him to be at his best. They don't have that. Aside, they don't another, I mean, aside from basically a Von Miller can, and, and maybe a Khalil Mack, who has other guys on that defensive line, can you really think of a guy on the edge that can be good on their own? No, but that's kind of the point, right? Like, they're, the rest of their defense isn't good enough to where they can really rely on Frank Clark to be the linchpin of a defensive, you know, a defensive line. So if he's not getting pressure because he doesn't have help, there's no linebackers to assist him. There's nobody in the secondary that are going to make up for that. It's a sieve. It's a bad, bad defense, and it can make really great quarterbacks look dominant and MVP caliber like Watson, and it can make average quarterbacks look pretty damn good. So they got a lot of problems on their hands if they don't figure shit out soon and Mahomes isn't 100% healthy because the season, you know, it was really Patriots and Chiefs and then everybody else. Now it seems to just be Patriots and everybody else. All right, so let's move on to the next game, and that is the Panthers with Christian McCaffrey, your MVP still to this year, I guess. I'm guessing that, right? I, I, I guess only because I continue to watch what he does on a weekly basis and is, and is consistently great. And he's had Cam Newton's corpse the first few weeks and Kyle Allen. You know, he's not doing this with, with a – Pro Bowl quarterback. And Kyle so, Allen continues to win games as they beat the Buccaneers 37-26. They won this game, but Jameis lost this game. Jameis Winston should have just gone over and handed the ball to this team. What did he throw, three picks in this game? He had five turnovers, dude. Including three picks, right? Yep. 
and there was this. There was. And I pick them to cover in this game in London, and I think my Buccaneers are your Vikings. I'm fucking done with them. I'm not even. I don't want to go near a game. Oh, they're so frustrating, man. I mean, there there was a stretch there in the second quarter as the as the half was winding down, where Winston fumbled. Somehow they got it back. He held the ball forever, had no awareness around him in the pocket as it was collapsing. Lucky to get the ball back. The very next play, he holds it for even longer, and they cough it up. And you can just see the look on some of the his teammates' faces. Like, this guy plays starting quarterback in the NFL. Like, he has – it's amazing to be that completely clueless on back-to-back plays. Like, just throw the ball away. Do, do anything. What are you doing? These guys are trying to play the role of hero. They have no idea what's going on around them as they're holding the ball for six, seven, eight seconds. I mean, he was just god-awful, and you wonder when you're the Rams, probably what forced them into that insane trade for Ramsey was they looked at what Jameis did to them two weeks ago, almost three weeks ago now, said, we can't have this. Jameis Winston looked like Joe Montana against us, and um, after seeing what he did in London against the Panthers, that's unacceptable because he sucks. Absolutely, and I'm hearing a little bit more from my sources, obviously, about a quarterback controversy down there in Carolina. Yeah, I still think when Newton's healthy, he's going to get the ball. He has built up enough equity, in my opinion, where he should be able to get. He should be able to play if he's healthy. He, uh, he was an he, he was an MVP, right? In fifteen. Uh, yeah, I believe he was. That, that was Super a long Bowl year. So he he was he, a young man he back has, then. Yeah, that's right. He's got to play if he's healthy. Now we'll see what happens, but um, if he says he's healthy, he, he's got to play. I don't think there's question about that. Moving on to the next game, your Seahawks come all the way back and beat the Cleveland Browns thirty-two to twenty-eight. This is the third straight game. We're going to bring up MVP conversation. Russell Wilson belongs right there. I think he's actually the favorite to win MVP, and I don't even think we mentioned him last week, which is a goddamn shame, and that's our bad. It's not though. Like, I'm not one of these guys who feels the need to hype up Russell Wilson because if you're favorite to win MVP, and it's not even hype, he's playing like a legitimate MVP. This entire team's running through him. His fucking headset broke, and he was calling plays on his own like it was backyard football. And they came back from I think twenty to three down against the Browns in Cleveland and won that game. Listen, man, we both agreed that he was a top five quarterback in our rankings. That was one thing we did agree upon. He is a difference maker. We, when we did that quarterback ranking, anybody that hasn't listened, go back through the archives. I'm sorry to interrupt. There's a lot of great episodes Sean there. Sean is a tier two quarterback. I did not. Um, I had, We both had uh, Russell Wilson in there. And um, Eli was the last of my tier four, so calm down. Um I said Russell Wilson brought the team last year. SEOC team was not expected to do shit last year. And they went to the playoffs and lost to Will's Cowboys. But it wasn't his fault. That they they had they played very well in that game, could have won. I'm not gonna say should have won, but could have won. That team had no business being as good as they were last year, and it was only because of Russell Wilson. He got his extension this year. He's got Tyler Rocket, he's got Metcalf running straight lines, which is what he does best. He is Arguably the biggest difference maker, aside from maybe Brady and Rodgers, in the entire NFL. 
I don't feel the need to hype him up because I feel like at this point, if you don't know how good Russell Wilson is and you don't want to admit how great of a quarterback he is, then that's on you. That's not on us. We're not talking about it. All right, fair enough. And your Cleveland Browns continue to do Cleveland Brown things. Do you have anything to say on them before I have my tangent? No, not at all. The only Actually, yeah, I do. I'm sorry. The one yeah. thing I have to say is I'm not putting this week on Baker. This is Freddy fucking Kitchens. Yeah, I haven't put all year on Baker. No, uh, I think I think Baker's played not great. I think that he needs to do a better job. I think it's all coaching. I think they're not putting him in good positions to win and good positions to make plays. I agree, but if you're going to be a top tier two quarterback, you've got to compensate for that. I had him in and tier three. Relax. I didn't call you out, so fuck you. I was talking about just other people who are ready to anoint him as a, as a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's not all his fault, but we do have to give some of the blame to him. You're right. The majority of the blame belongs on Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens sucks. He's a bad coach. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. That defense, how do you give up a 20-3 to lead like that? I don't care if it is Russell Wilson. You're home. You're winning. It, it was like the the Falcons in the Super Bowl a couple years back. Really terrible job. Um, I don't know what else to say about this Cleveland Brown team. They're dysfunctional. Odell probably feels like he's back with the Giants because he's got a quarterback that can't get him the ball. He's got an offense that looks out of sorts. He's got a defense that gives up touchdowns on seemingly every play when it seems like the game's over. And uh, it's a lot of losing. And he's on another team that's doing a lot of losing. And it's not going to get better anytime soon. They still have a, uh, they've got a really rough stretch coming up. So this, you're staring at a team that easily broke and finished with three or four wins. Ooh, wow. You're really yeah, tough on Because they, they have two right now, right? I'm sorry, Jets, and, Jets and Ravens? Yeah. All right, so maybe five or six. I'll, I'll say five and six because they still haven't played the Bengals yet, so. Let's move on to the next game. It was an ugly game, but Lamar Jackson made a little bit of NFL history. He, I believe he was the first quarterback to ever throw for 200-plus yards and rush for 150-plus yards. He had a game that defense should have done a better job, but again, there's there's some reinforcements coming in. They beat the Bengals 23-17. to For me, not really much to say here. You beat the better team. When you're the division leader and in our eyes you're expected to win the division, this is what you do. We said this about Penn State. Sometimes you got to win ugly. They won ugly. Next game, and this was the bowl for our compliments. you got to give me a week or two to come up with some compliments. I will pay off this bet because the Redskins may have won 17-16, to but the Dolphins covered. Not really much to say here. Again, this was the Tua Bowl, and the Dolphins won in that, in that way. You saw a little bit of Fitzmagic at the end, and he almost did it. Okay, so we actually have to talk about two things in this game. One... Fitzmagic did come back. What do you think of that? I couldn't believe they pulled the plug on Rosen. That team looked reinvigorated when Fitzpatrick came out. He was slinging the ball all over the yard, and you know what? He let a comeback, and they almost won the game. And I don't blame him for going for two there because it's like, fuck it. We want the number one pick. If we win this game, we're going to win it right now. We're not going to overtime. Oh, so you have a totally different take on both of those than I do. I think that by reinserting Fitzpatrick, it had nothing to do with winning the game. It had exactly to do with, okay, we identified Rosen's not our guy. and uh, Oh, well, that could have been part of it as well. I think that was more it. I don't think they could give two shits if they won the game or not, which leads me into that two-point conversion. 
Okay, so you can dress it up. Like, you can take a really, really ugly person and dress them up, make them look great, and then still put them, like, in a in a runway show, and they're not gonna, they're not gonna quite pull it off, right? That's how I felt about that two-point conversion. Okay, we're gonna say we're going for the win, and we can tell everybody after the game that we went for the win. We're at home, we're winless, we're going for the win. That was the worst two-point conversion attempt I've ever seen. There were three defensive players on that, on the running back before he even got the ball. A running back screen? Are you fucking kidding me? That's your play? Again, you can dress it up real nice. Say we went for the win because we know that this is the closest to tanking we've ever seen in the NFL. There have been some really bad teams in the past. They've all been able to lose on their own every single game. The, Vi- the, uh, the Vikings, the fucking Dolphins are good enough to win on their own once or twice in this season. They just cho- they chose not to, but they can dress it up and say, all right, we went for it. There was no way they were converting that play. We know that. Not at all. That was a terrible play call, and it, it looks like it was done on purpose. I feel bad for Flores, and I feel bad for Rosen as well because, I mean, it's tough to identify whether this is your guy or not when you've sold off pretty much all the talent on this roster. I have no sympathy for Flores. He knew what he was getting himself into, and he's going to have the option to choose his next franchise quarterback. As for uh, Rosen, I do feel bad for him because he has. Uh, this is the second straight year he's in a no-win situation. He's going to get traded again. And we're looking at a guy who's probably going to be a career backup because he went to two terrible situations that wanted to do a little bit better and had no no way to gauge his actual ability on the field, and that's just unfortunate. Well, maybe we'll see him on the Patriots and they'll just run back another dynasty. Possibly. All right, moving on to the next game. The Saints. What did you say? You got it? I, I hope not, but could no, you see it? I mean, like, of, of course, course, I hope not. I, I could definitely see it. Belichick just waiting to pounce on him for a six I mean, Matt Castle won 10 games, so I'd like to think Rosen could win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on to the next game. Saints beat the Jaguars 13-6. to I don't think Minshew Mania is over because that Saints defense is pretty good. But Teddy Two Gloves is holding down the fort for when Drew Brees comes back. Good win for them. Um... Again, they didn't play great, but their defense was so good in this game that they really didn't have to do a lot. And I'm not ready to give up on Minshew, but it was the first time he looked human. He still doesn't look human. He's a god out there. (laughs) He's a god putting up six points. Yeah, no, it was a tough game. Those are the most impressive six points you've ever seen, right? Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. I think better things are ahead for Gardner after this week. Moving on to the next game, the Cardinals beat your playoff pick. The Atlanta Falcons. I'm so sick of I'm, I feel like such jackass. They're like, okay, 34-33. They get their second win of the year, I believe, second in a row, too. Mm-hmm. I know they tied a game. Um, then week one. They're about to get their yeah. third against the Giants. Yeah, we're gonna find out, right? Uh, this should be that should be a fun game, and w- when we do our picks, we'll see where we each other lean. But oh my god, dude! I mean, you're the Falcons, and that's the thing. I feel so weird about Matt Ryan because I feel like he's the best worst quarterback in the league. And what I mean by that Good is numbers. That's it. Like he doesn't suck. Like I, like when we look at Eli, right? Like we're like, well, if he's in the perfect situation with optimum protection and a lot of talent around him. Maybe he could play okay. I feel like you could put Matt Ryan anywhere, and he'd still be good. But 
I don't know what it is about this team. I don't know the the, the the bad mojo from that Super Bowl loss a few years ago is still hanging in the air there, even though Shanahan's gone and is still just Quinn the head coach. The defense is a disaster. They don't they put up points, but they're not impressive points. They feel like more like workman like points. No, I mean listen, it's a recipe for disaster when your defense is absolutely terrible and you have a defensive head coach and you cannot score in the red zone. How are you a self-respecting team and lose to the Cardinals? I, I, that's, I don't well, give like one uh, point or 15 points. Be, that's another clip I'll be cutting up and playing on, on next Wednesday. Uh, it's just, well, I've <laughs> you ne- should not I've have never, said that, my friend. I will never, no, I, I would never call the Giants self-respecting. Okay, fair enough. I'm glad you covered that up. I didn't even think that that was is worth cleaning up when have I given the Giants a whole lot of credit. So, I I did not pick the Giants to be a playoff team. I picked the Falcons to be a playoff team. A lot of people picked the Falcons to be at least in the mix. They stink. They're a really bad team, and I am so happy that I am only going to use them to pick against for the rest of the year. Quinn, every week he still has a job, I'm shocked. Uh, he's fucking awful. That team is really bad. They don't play for him. They don't play for him, and I know that they don't have a tremendous amount of talent on defense, but they shouldn't be this bad. Completely agree with you, man. All right, so let's move on to the only other 5-0 and team aside from the New England Patriots, and we didn't know if this team was for real, but then they beat the Rams 20-7, to and that is the 49ers. The 49ers are right, man, and uh, yeah, I think it's about time that we start taking this team for real, don't you think? Jimmy G still made a few silly plays out there, but that two that two headed monster at running back, Shanahan loves nothing more than having a two headed monster at running back. Those guys look great, and their defense is really, really good. Their uh, their offense didn't do shit in the second half of this game, but again, just sim- very similarly to the Saints. They didn't have to. Their defense was that good. Um, I wish I could say more about the Niners. I, I, they're they're just very... I still consider them under the radar, even though they're undefeated. They're fucking really good. They're sneaky good, though. And like, Bosa is a stud. He's better than his brother. He's, he's, it seems that way great. right now. Yeah, I mean, remember Joey had a really, really good rookie year. So I'm not ready to do that quite yet. He is fucking great, though. And when I look at this team, I look at a team that just embodies their head coach, which is just consistency. He has complete control of that team. And that team plays very, very hard and very, very well on both sides of the ball. And if their defense plays like this, you don't need Jimmy G to be putting up, you know, all-star Pro Bowl numbers and, and you know, top five quarterback numbers. Just stay away from the really, really bad turnovers because he's shown a propensity to continue to do that. We got to talk about the Rams, man. What the hell? Let's hope they buttoned up that defense a little bit with Jalen Ramsey. But, again, we talked about the Rams in depth a little earlier. I think they have bigger problems than their cornerbacks. Their, their offense just looks lost. It looks lost. What, what what to you is the main reason? Do you have like one thing you can put your finger on and say, that's it, or is it a culmination of things? The one thing I can put my finger on is Jared Goff. Yeah. I mean, the quarterback is the straw that stirs the drink, and this guy is just not making good decisions out there on the field. Some of the throws he makes just aren't even close. 
they look like Cam Newton throws from earlier in the year, and I don't even think <laughs> this guy's hurt. I was going to say, it reminds me a lot of what you used as an, an analysis to talk about Cam. The only thing there was Cam was at least pretty hurt with his shoulder and his foot. I don't know what the excuse for golf could be because I don't think I know it's not injury. Yeah. Uh, did we did we jump a little too far out in the bandwagon? I know not just us. I mean, when I say we, I mean you know the entire sports. I'll say we're media. We're, we have a website and a podcast. We're, we're damn good. Media. I'm a CEO. You're a COO. I'm not completely yeah, jumping off. I'm just doing a rapid reaction to how they've looked the last couple of weeks. I think, and I said this earlier in the podcast, I think the Rams personally are going to turn it around. You did say that. And I think I'm they interested. have too much talent on this team to not be able to figure it out. Cooper Cup's a superstar player. He's even better after the ACL. Robert Woods is definitely a good wide receiver. Cooks can stretch the field. They seem to have found something in that tight end, Gerald Everett. And again, I mean, if they can figure out even a semblance of a running game between obviously the all-world player and Gurley and the other two running backs they have out there in Brown and Hen- and I think it's Henderson or Henson or something like that, I think they're going to be just all right. I think they're going to be fine. you got to hope so if you're the Rams, because when we went into this season, we really didn't think there was a team oh, shit. a lot I picked better in the them. fucking Super Bowl, dude. A lot of people did, but they're starting to look like just the next, aside from the Patriots, who seem like it just doesn't matter, they're the next in a long line of teams that didn't win the Super Bowl or just won a Super Bowl and then is, you know, mediocre to average at best the following season. They're 3-3 three and three now, right? So we're going to find out eventually soon who they really are. Let's see if this trade for Ramsey reinvigorates them. The offense really has to turn it around, though, because obviously in both of our opinions, that's the biggest flaw. Yeah, I wish they could have traded for an offensive player. Again, you, know so what, to, you know what else? Their offensive line has not been playing well either. It hasn't been that good, and it's an older offensive line who might have you know, peaked already. But remember, there's still two more weeks. The, the trade deadline's October 29th, so there's still time for them to make another move or two, and maybe on this, uh, this time on the offensive side. All right, so this was pretty much the vanilla bowl moving on. The Denver Broncos beat the Titans 16 to nothing. The only storyline out of this is Mariota finally got the plug. Yeah, he uh, he got sat down for Ryan Tannehill, um, who is basically uh, is it Mark, Marcus Mariona just like did he just put a different helmet on because they're basically the same player. They're basically the same player, except oddly enough. And you heard Delaney Walker kind of call out the coaching decision for it. Um, weirdly enough, Mariota's actually had a pretty okay career. I'll say okay in the sense of he has won a playoff game. In 2016, he actually had a really good year. I forget the exact stats, but I think it was like 19 touchdowns and 7 picks or like 23 touchdowns and 8 picks, something like that. But... He's actually had some success. I don't look at him as... Jameis I look at as a guy, right, who he's just going to kill you because he tries to make too much happen. Mariota's going to kill you because he's just not capable of making a lot happen. You know what I mean? Like I don't know which just, is worse. I don't know which is worse, but do you understand where I'm coming from? Like, Winston's going to make... He's going to throw the really bad interception because he's trying to chuck the ball 50 yards down the field or he's going to take the really bad fumble because he holds on to it for too long because he's trying to extend a play. 
Mariota just seems like, well, I'm not going to throw the ball deep because I don't do that. Uh, I'm not going to fumble because I'm not going to, you know, hold the ball too long. I'm just not capable of making deep throws, and I'm just not capable of running for 20, 30 yards. Yeah, it, well, seems like that, it seems like he's kind of trapped there. Are you going to go with the more talented quarterback or the safer quarterback? I, I don't know, because both of them suck. So Both of them suck. Both of them suck, and I think it is a real – this was the last. Until we see an actual injury, I think this is the last that we've seen Marcus Mariota in a Titan uniform because I do think that they want to see what they have from Tannehill. Can Tannehill do something? I don't believe that he can. I don't think he's very good. Like you said, did they just trade uniforms? Because they seem with the same player – but I don't know how you feel. I, I don't think that Tannehill is going to reinvigorate this team at all. I think that they're going to be as vanilla as you said they are. As for Denver, their defense is back, baby. They didn't play a great offensive team, but they haven't played some great offensive teams, and they're still lost. They won this game easily. Bradley Chubb's out for the year. Von Miller played real well. Vic Fangio might be finding his groove with that personnel. I don't know. What do you think about the Titans first and then the Broncos? Titans are vanilla. We all know that. I think they're an 8-8 eight eight team this year at best. And as for the Broncos, I think they figured their defense out. I think they figured out how to use Flacco. If they can build up a decent defense, really run the ball hard with Freeman and more Phillip Lindsay, and just let Flacco manage the game, then they can win in this league, and they might be able to sneak into the playoffs. I'm hoping so. I picked them too. I know I'm not getting that out of my Falcons, so. I think that AFC wild card is wide open. So I mean, now now it certainly looks like that, and they've got a big game this week uh, against the Chiefs uh, tomorrow night, actually. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be a fun one to watch, especially with Mahomes. I'm not. I don't wish for injuries, but with Mahomes a little hobbled, I think that'll be a fun game. Yeah, on a short week, you know, his treatment's not going to be as good as it would be on a full week. So, moving on to the next one. This one hurts. Uh, the Steelers beat the Chargers 24-17 to with a third-string quarterback. Phillip Rivers sucks. Okay. Phillip Rivers is now taken over as you can throw him in the Big Ben category and not quite Eli Manning, but getting close to Eli Manning. Um, I don't know what he's doing with these throws. I don't know what he sees. He looks just absolutely... He looks. You know what he looks like? He looks old. He looks old. His arm is even worse than it's ever been, and it was never all that good. It's always been accurate, but it's never been all that good. It looks even worse and less accurate. The running game isn't great, and you allow a Pittsburgh Steelers team on their third-string quarterback in uh, Hodges. What's his first name? I don't know. People call him Duck. All right. Duck Hodges... Um, comes in and it's 17 nothing before you can even you know before you can even look at and home. at home and, and I know that's not a home field advantage but it's still at home the Steelers are traveling cross country you just don't show up terrible job I don't know if Anthony Lynn's a really bad coach I don't I have no idea I think Rivers though you've seen a decline this year and it's come fast um Remember last year, Roethlisberger had a lot of these games, and we were starting to be like, "My God, like he can't, he can't complete passes, and he's just throwing to the other team a lot." Um, we're starting to see that from uh, from Phil Rivers now. I mean, aside from Tom Brady, though, it seems like every single quarterback 
in the history of the NFL, it comes out of nowhere and hits them like a ton of bricks. They just they just fall off the face of the earth. Oh no! I mean, I, I definitely we we know this was coming. I don't think we anticipated it being this fast, and especially, I mean, we saw them lose last week to the Broncos, who at that point hadn't had a win. They knocked me out of my survivor, and then. This week, you let Pittsburgh come across with their third-string quarterback and knock you out. I mean, that's that's not good. That's not a position you want to be in. And um, if you're the Chargers, you're going to have to start really looking at the big picture soon as to what this team is now and what this team is going into next year. Absolutely. That's not good. Great analysis coming out of you. So let's talk about the final game of the week before we go into our picks for this week. Now, I know you want to talk about the refs in this one, so I'm just going to let you go. The Packers beat the Lions 23-22 to in a close game. Packers are one of the best teams in the NFL, and they got lucky in this one. Yep. So, um, this was going on Monday night, um, and the way I looked at this game was the Lions rushed a touchdown on the field. They were up 10 nothing. If Hawkinson catches that ball, it's seventeen nothing. We're talking about a different game. They had to settle for a field goal and ended up being thirteen nothing. I'm sorry, thirteen nothing at home. I don't care how good their defense is playing. I don't believe for a second that Rodgers and the Packers are out of it. And I really always thought that they were going to come back and win. The Lions have had a very nice season so far, with the exception of Week One. They played well enough to beat the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs a couple weeks ago. But I'm sorry, I, I don't feel that confident in them that if they get up to a 13 nothing lead, they're going to stick with it. They got hosed in this game by the referees. Now, I said I wasn't going to talk about it after the Jet-Cowboy game. I'm going to bring them all together now. The refs really this week were the stars of the show for all the wrong reasons. And I have a perfect solution to how to fix this. And I, I've said this about baseball umpires for a few years, Tom. You and I, off the pod, have, have talked about this at various points. The NFL, if they want to make these stupid referees celebrities, for in which case they pretty much do, every network has one. I mean, Gene Steratore is on CBS. They've got Pereira on Fox. I forget the guy that they have. Is it Perry? on NBC, they got one of those former refs. So they bring them in for all these analyses, and they're all stupid. Oh, did you think that was a holding? Well, anybody watching football could tell you whether it was a holding or not. So they're, they're already useless, in my opinion. Here's how you fix this shit, because I've had it. You have to have, these, these referees have to have post-game interviews with the media, just like all the other players on both teams and coaches have to do as well. Because... If you're going to have games like this, and I know everybody had that immediate reaction to the no call in the NFC Championship game. I'm not going to go down that road again. We all know how bad and egregious that was, and that will be talked about until the end of time in football history. But that Jet game was a joke. Six penalties in a row called between the offense and defense. That was almost unwatchable. If I, if I didn't care, I wasn't even a fan of either team. I just wanted to see the Cowboys lose. So if I was that invested in that game, I can't imagine what you as a Jet fan were going through and Will as a Cowboys fan were going through. That's unwatchable football. That's 
awful. I'm sorry. Swallow the fucking whistle and let the guys play. And on that two-point conversion, you can make a very, very fair case that Marcus May never gave Jason Witten an opportunity to catch the football. Because if that wasn't called, then three or four of the other penalties that were called before that shouldn't have been called. In this game, the Lions, second time the Lions game impacted their ability to, or the, the outcome of their game. Remember the Chargers, I believe it was week two, got completely hosed by a couple of awful calls in, uh, in Detroit. That, 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 whatever they call the legal hands to the face when the defender never even touched Williams, I mean, these are the kind of things that you should have to explain. There should be a post-game interview for the referees where they have to look back on the tape because these poor coaches and players are forced to go into their locker rooms after giving their blood, sweat, and tears for three and a half, four hours to only have games decided by these awful referees who, I know you can talk about technology and this, that, and the third. It is worse than it's ever been before because they feel like they can get away with murder and they know they don't have to talk about it. They should have to talk about it. It would clean everything up because I swear to God, if these guys had to sit in the locker room and get interviewed for an hour about why they made this call and can you believe that you made this call and what, what were you thinking here and they were graded that harshly and the media could really rip them apart, they would think a lot more harshly about blowing their whistle every single time the ball goes in the air. I'm sorry I went on a tangent, but it fucking drives me crazy. I love this game, and I'm sick and tired of seeing it decided by the Zebras. I'm getting really sick and tired of it, man. It ruins the flow of these games. Let the players on the field decide the outcome of the games, not a fucking whistle. It was a, it was it was a good game, 20, 23 to 22. Uh, that's it was all a great game. To say. <laughs> come on, come on. Terrible refereeing. Couldn't have said it better myself. Why don't we get into last week's picks recap, huh? Let's do it. All right, so let me pull up SorrySports.com and see how we did last week. It is the greatest website in the world, you know. So now I believe if we're excluding our bonus picks because we all know that you won that one and I have to create a list. Oh, yeah, we agreed that wasn't going to count. So aside from that, I believe you went 1-3 this week and I went 2-2. Two and two. Yeah, I didn't do a good job. So you picked New England. I picked New England. That both that we both covered there. You <laughs> picked, in the You picked Dallas. I picked Dallas. We were fucking wrong there, and I'm happy about it. Um, and then you, I picked Tampa Bay. That'll never happen again. I can promise you that. You took Baltimore. That game was a lot closer than we thought. That puts mm-hmm. you at one and three. My sperm bank pick of the week cashes in with San Francisco. Well done, Dan Hypeco. Well done. Thank you, thank you. The sponsors are very happy. All right, so why don't we move on to our picks this week. I am beating you by two picks this year, and I have my secretary, well, at least I gave him an assignment. Who the fuck knows if he's been doing it? Just ringing Burger King's phone off the hook. Oh, disgusting, dude. Every week that I go through this, I get, uh, I'm get i getting more and more disgusted. My stomach churns again oh, and again. Well, maybe Luke Falk will be making those calls. Well, you know, we're coming up upon the time of year. I don't know if you know this, but it was pretty chilly the last few days here in uh, New England in the fall. And uh, we're getting about a month or two out from you jumping in the uh, cold water in an Eli jersey. That's going to be good, but it's not going to be as good as watching you eat a full day of meals that I get to pick. Oh, 
All right, so let's, <laughs> let's move on to picks this week. So, first game we got, we got the New York Giants. We'll go with them first. They are at home, 1 o'clock game, against the very hot Arizona Cardinals. They are three-point favorites. I don't think you're going to be, see be seeing the Giants' favorites that much this year, maybe against the Jets, but they are favored in this game by three points. What do you think? The second time they're favored, they were actually somehow favored against the Redskins, but I think only by a a half a point or a point, which goes to show how little they just thought about them. Um, yeah, I'm going to take my New York Giants, man. Uh, Three-point favorite at home. Um, I read off their schedule earlier. Um, they need to win this game if they believe they have any chance to extend this season for a little bit longer. I know Kyler's playing well, but that defense really stinks. You're getting a young West Coast tr- team having to travel to the East for a 1 o'clock game. That's 10 o'clock their time. Um, let's go, Daniel Jones. Get back on the winning train, baby. Let's not forget the injury report said that Barkley and Ingram were full practice, full participants in practice this week. I'm going to so, go with the Giants for that sole reason as well. That I could think be that fun. Be able to beat them. Yeah, I, I mean, you got to feel good about that, right? I mean, they might actually have Jones might have some offensive talent to work with for the first time, so. Let's go with the Giants. Let's move Let's on to the other local team. We're going down to Monday night at 8.15. The New England Patriots come into MetLife. Back-to-back days at MetLife yes. Stadium. They are favored by 9.5 against the New York Jets. Sam Darnold and his spleen, his perfect spleen, are playing. <laughs> are you, what are you doing? You're taking the Jets? I'm going to go with the New England Patriots here. I think they make okay. a statement. I don't even think you have to make much of a statement. I mean, you can win by 10, and it feels good. I mean, they just won by 21 against the Giants, and it didn't feel all that impressive. I'm going to go with the Pats, too. Um, I'm very encouraged with what the Jets did last week, but I think the Patriots, are uh, they know that they want to take care of business. And I don't think this game will be a blowout, per se. I don't know how you feel. I could see this game being like 31-17, to 31-20, something like that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a full-on just absolute gashing because I think Darnold's a little too good for that, but it's definitely they're definitely going to cover. It won't be like it was in week three. We'll acknowledge that. Yeah. Okay. All right, so why don't you go into your out-of-market games, my friend? All right. Well, I'm going to go to Green Bay, Wisconsin, where the Packers will play in a short week since they hosted Monday night. They're a five-and-a-half-point favorite against the Oakland Raiders. You know, Green Bay has played a lot of good games this year, but a lot of them have been very, very close. And Oakland won me a lot of style points when they went over to London and beat the Bears after the Bears' defense looked almost unstoppable against the Redskins and Vikings the weeks before. Give me the Oakland Raiders to cover this five-and-a-half-point spread in Green Bay. I think that's a little too high. I think Carl played well. I think this team is feeling good about themselves. I don't think they'll win this game, but I think it'll be close. You saw Detroit only lose by one. So why can't the, uh, why can't the Raiders play close? Give me the Oakland Raiders to cover the five-and-a-half. Big rooting guy. I always knew that about you. Those are my Oakland Raiders. All right, so <laughs> I am going over to Washington. Washington is at home. They are being uh, they are being given nine and a half points against the San Francisco 49ers. I love how this Niners team is playing, and I said it last week, and it was actually right. Defenses do travel, 
and I think that the 49ers are going to be able to cover this 9.5-point spread easily. I think you're going to see a 100-plus-yard game out of one, maybe two of those running backs on San Francisco. Jimmy G is not going to have to do that much. I think he has a couple good throws in this game, and I think this defense absolutely destroys the Redskins. Yeah, that's a good pick by you. I think that whoever I don't who's playing quarterback is it Phil Keenum for uh, for Washington? Yeah, I don't think he got too dinged up. I think he's definitely going to be playing again. All right, not that it matters too much, but it might mean Haskins just, just, just enough. Losing. Yeah, just enough to alter the spread. All right, for my last pick this week, I am going over to Cincinnati, Ohio, the Bengals. Are giving or Jacksonville rather is a three and a half point favorite at the winless Bengals. That's plenty for me. G Minshew has to get back on track, right? Six points, that's no good. The Saints defense is great, but the Bengals defense is not. G Minshew, just like Daniel Jones, will get back on track this week. The year of the rookie quarterback, the rookie backup quarterback will continue. The Bengals will stay winless and the Jacksonville Jaguars will cover this and win this game by three and a half points or more. Little coming out party for Gardner, I hope. Hey, he's had enough of the coming out parties. This is more of a get right party for him. Okay. All right. So for my final pick, and I'm shocked you didn't take this one being that you said you were going to pick against him all year. My Sperm Bank Pick of the Week brought to you by Dino Hype Co. On Instagram, at Dino Hype Co. DinoHypeCo.com. The sponsor has been very good to me lately. I am going to go down to Atlanta. Jalen Ramsey in a Rams uniform. I think he'll Is he playing? Play Do we know week. he's playing? I don't give a fuck if he plays or not. This Atlanta team sucks. <laughs> give me the LA Rams. Favored by three points in Atlanta. Talk about a get-right game. I think this is a get-right game for the LA Rams. I like this pick by you. I, I did say that I would only pick against Atlanta, but I didn't say I'd do it every week. I like some other games this week, but I like this pick by you. You're right. This is a get win. This is a get right game for the uh, for the Rams. You've got to win this game. Or the Falcons could throw for 500 on him. I don't know. Man, he could throw for 500 and also five picks, and they could the defense could give up a touchdown on every play. That's true. That's true. All right. Well. Another long pot in the books. We had to do it this week. It was my fault. I'm sorry, everybody. We'll be back hopefully on Monday talking about the Yankees with g- moving on to the World Series. Let's cross our fingers. There you go. I'm certainly hoping so. I think they're going to lose. Everybody respect the process from the CEO. Sometimes you just have to be a little negative. Hey, I'm whatever works. All right, everybody. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll be back on Monday. Take care, everybody. Thanks for